You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Live at the studio of Worldwide Sports Radio. All right, let's go. It's the third and long show. And here's your host, Maddie Caps. And welcome, everybody, to a brand new show of Third and Long here at the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, live in Hop Hog, New York. You got myself, Mr. Matty Caps, along with my co host, producer, friend. You guys know him as Speedy Petey. I know him as Speedy Petey. Speedy Petey, what is going on, pal? How is everything going? Been good. I got to see my family this weekend, and actually, my uncle came up from Florida, too, so it, w- it was pretty fun and enjoyed the, the football. To what it was. The Giants obviously stink, but everything else was good. Well, is that news? I mean, we knew that. Yeah. So, enjoyed it with them. Uh, I, we had a lot of fun. Uh, my cousins actually hosted it, and they actually finished their basement. We actually had a lot of fun down there. Foosball, air hockey, stuff like that. And it was actually got pretty competitive. Of course it does. I mean, <laughs> if it doesn't get competitive, it's not fun. My grandparents were playing it, and my, uh, my aunt and my mother battled in high heels. It was pretty funny. <laughs> Well, then, on that note, how's your fantasy teams doing? They bounced back this week big time. Big time. I, all five of them won. Now I'm 5-3 and three or 4-4 four and four and everything else. One league I got 217 points, I believe, in between Mike Evans, Tevin Coleman, and Drew Brees having big days as, a big, <laughs> as big contributors. Well, that's a good thing. But, man, Speedy, I haven't seen you since last week, and so much stuff has happened over the weekend and everything leading up. Uh, the World Series. We're, we, we have a Game 7 tonight, which is going to be really exciting. Uh, we're going to talk about last night's Game 6, and I do have a lot to say about that. And I'm just going to let everybody know who thinks it was a bad call. You're completely wrong. You are completely and utterly wrong. So we're going to get into that. Uh, I'm going to talk about Justin Verlander because I honestly think he sucks, especially in a World Series. I'm going to talk about Verlander going forward. I mean, there's so much stuff going going on in Major League Baseball from what are the New York Yankees going to do? The garbage from Queens, what are they going to do for a manager? <laughs> now that Joe Girardi is going to is going to be basically their new rival, okay? It, it, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Speedy let me just ask you this. Are you on Suicide Watch right now, being a Garbage from Queens fan? I, I just need to ask you before we really get into it. No, I don't expect anything less from them. <laughs> I kind of accepted it by fate at this point. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I, there's not much to say. They're, they're just not. <laughs> I, I, I bash the Garbage from Queens, and ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know who the Garbage from Queens are, they're, they're the New York Mets, and I don't say that often, okay? They're, they're the garbage from Queens. They're the little brother. They're the junior varsity team. And I'm, I'm going to reiterate this one more time. Nothing will change until the Wilpons are away from that organization, especially now that this division just got so much better. Nationals are one game away from the World Series. Joe Girardi is a rival. I mean, it, 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 it's crazy. It's crazy. 
to me that they give their fans no hope year in and year out. It, it, it's crazy to me. But, Speedy, let's get into it. The World Series. It's time to get into it. And I, I, have, I do have a lot to say about the World Series because you look at it right now, okay? The World Series is coming down to a Game 7. And this is unbelievable. Unbelievable. For all fans involved, for Houston Astros, for the Nationals, and whatnot, I myself am thoroughly going to enjoy tonight's game. Everybody that's watching should thoroughly enjoy tonight's game because you're going to see Max Scherzer rise from the dead, go up against Zach Greinke, the biggest head case in Major League Baseball, in my opinion. Okay? But let's talk about last, last night's game first before we really break down Game, se- uh, game 7 tonight. And last night's game was the Astros jumped out to a quick 2-1 right after the first inning, Speedy, because I'm sure you were yep, watching it yep. when you were here and whatnot. Astros scored one in the first, and Astros scored two after that. Yeah, Astros scored two. And the Astros had their opportunities, and then you look at it, okay? You look at last night's game, and as soon as the Astros went up 2-1 after the first, I'm like, oh, this is over. I mean, there's no way. This Washington Nationals team is going to come back on Justin Verlander. Justin Verlander is going to go seven innings now after giving up that one run. I'm sure everyone said that against the Dodgers. A hundred percent. No, no, listen, a hundred percent. I'm sitting there. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to flip back and forth. I'm going to watch the other sports stuff going on as well. But you look at this game last night. It took a turn for the worst real quickly. Steven Strasburg, hats off to you, buddy. You pitched unbelievable in this World Series. You pitched unbelievable in last night's game. Getting Altuve on that big strikeout when you had when the Astros were down mm. two to one with a second very and third. Difficult guy to strike out. So. Second and third with uh, one out or two outs, whatever it was. One out, one it was out. One out. There was one out. One yep. Out, yeah. Second and third, one out. And you get Altuve to swing on one of your curveballs that have been lights out last night. I tip my cap to Steven Strasburg because everybody counted this guy out. Everybody didn't think he had it in him to go out there. And do what he's doing, okay? Steven Strasburg, you are, in my opinion, if the if they do win the World Series, you're going to be up there for one of the votes for for the uh, MVP of the World Series. Even though I think Juan Soto will get it, if if or Rondon, one one of those. Juan two. Soto, I think, will get it, but Strasburg is not far behind. If that's the voting, and even if, if, they if do that's g- the case, and even if they do give it to him, I think it would be fair too. Yeah, hundred percent phenomenal all postseason. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. But you look at last night's game; it was barred by one thing. And as soon as I saw the play, I'm like, that umpire is going to call him out. He's hundred percent out. He's out. And then you see it. The home plate umpire and the first place um, first base umpire both called them out. And Speedy, I'm going to ask you. And even though you and I are in agreement, because we both agree that it was the right call. And if you look at the rule in Major League Baseball, if you listen to while people explained it, it is a hundred percent, one hundred percent, the right call was made last night. Now I know people want to sit there and say, "Oh, these they want the Houston Astros to win so badly." I saw it all over social media last night. How, how horrible of a call it was, how bad it was. I hate to break it to people. It wasn't a horrible call whatsoever. It was the right call. Speedy, what do you think? Well, to reiterate on that first point, one, 
if you're Major League Baseball, why would you want to rig the call for the Astros anyway? Wouldn't the Nationals winning be a great storyline? <laughs> and that's number one. Number two, I agree with you. I, I think people realize people are looking at the obstruction and they're realizing, yeah, it's Trey Turner didn't do anything wrong, which is right. I think if the obstruction call was what they were worried about, yeah, they're right. I think Guriel inflicted contact on Turner, if anything else. And obstruction is called as if the runner interfered with the fielder with his aggression or his running or anything like that. Turner didn't do that. So in that essence, I can see where people are complaining. But what it is was he was out of the baseline in the early part of the at-bat. And he was practically running on the infield grass. And that's where he was called out. A hundred percent. Listen. I didn't see it at first either because I thought it – I thought they were just reviewing the obstruction, and it was only real. Uh, it was only like the second or third replay I saw it, and I'm like, "Yeah, okay, he's out of the baseline." And, and, and you want to know that's what? That's all it takes. That little bit, he was out of the baseline. Exactly. Now I'm going to say this as a righty coming from that righty's batter's box, and and I watched Harold uh, Harold Baines or whoever it was on the MLB Network. Harold Reynolds. Harold, yeah, that's the one, not Harold Baines. Harold Reynolds and someone else. They they were talking about it and going at it a little bit. Yes, ladies and gentlemen. The rule needs to be changed. Not going to disagree with that whatsoever, okay? The rule does need to be changed. But again, it was the right call by the umpire. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Holbrook, the umpire, believed Turner had violated rule 5.09A11, which goes as stated in the rule book like this. In running the last half of the distance from home base to first base, while the ball is being fielded to first base, he runs outside to the right of the three-foot line or inside to the left of the foul line. And in the, umpire, in the umpire's judgment, that's the key word there, the umpire's judgment in so doing interferes with the fielder taking a throw at first base, in which, the, in which case the ball is dead, except that he may run outside to the right of the three-foot line or inside to the left of the foul line, to avoid a fielder attempting to field a batted ball. Right. And generally when you run on the grass at all, it's, you're out. In other line. words, what Holbrook is basically saying, he believed Trey Turner stepped outside of his lane on the way to first base and in doing so had obstructed Guriel from making a play on the ball. The rule book also offers this additional comment on said rule. The lines marking the three-foot line uh, three-foot lane are a part of that lane, and a batter runner is required to have both feet within the three-foot lane or on the lines marking the lane. The batter runner is permitted to exit the three-foot lane by means of a step, stride, reach, or slide in the immediate vicinity of first base for sole purpose of touching first base. Okay? And rightfully so, Trey Turner and the Nationals were... Irate, uh, they couldn't even go into the dugout when that happened because there were so many f bombs getting thrown around, and it, it, it was crazy. Trey Turner had to be held back by his Drupal Cabrera in the dugout, um, and, and and you look at it after a long, lengthy review, the play was upheld. And again, Washington manager Dave Martinez, who's been, in my opinion, I think he's been having the best postseason that you can possibly have as a manager right now um, going forward, but that's a topic for another day, was ejected for going after Holbrook in between innings, and he looked, he looked like he was going to strangle him if he wasn't held back. Um, 
Now, you look at it, you look at what Joe Torre did, who was the umpire-in-chief or whatever it was, who, who does all that stuff, and he explained the thought process behind it. And if you go and, and listen to Major League Baseball analysts, okay, they all agreed it is the right call. And I, as well, do agree, knowing the rule that states it in the Major League Baseball handbook. Now, you look at lefties. When lefties get up to bat, it's easier for them to get down the line, okay, and stay on the foul side of the three-foot line, all right? Righties have to go across now, and their first steps alone are almost on the infield grass when they try to get to the dirt to run down the line. Right, especially if the catcher's in the way, too. This rule, as a whole, has to change right now. It, it, it has to change. Like, the Major League Baseball, they need to go into this offseason. Joe Torre needs to go with whoever he needs to go with. They need to make an amendment to this rule. They need to do something about this rule because you don't want to lose a World Series game on a call like that. Well, also, again, I think if, if they actually called obstruction, I think that was where people are misleading. I feel like I would have... I don't know if they announced it that way, whether whether it was the umpire, the first base umpire or the home plate. I don't know if they announced it as obstruction because of that. Because, I, again, I don't think it was. But, again, Turner was still out of the baseline. And, yes, it is hard harder for a right-handed hitter just because they're not running straight. They're running on a slant, essentially. Then they got to turn around and run straight. So it is harder for them to do that. But, again, you're always taught to run within the dirt. If you're rounding first, going to second, or rounding second, going to third, you're always taught to run in a, a curve, but also stay off the the outfield grass as well. So it's just, again, a, a little thing that Turner did accidentally. He, I thought it was just an out-of-the-baseline call. So, again, if they're judging it like that and they're calling it obstruction, maybe I could see why Dave Martinez got mad. But, again, it was still out of the baseline. So they had the right, I guess, decision to call him out. It was more of the methodology of the way they did it and – what people are confusing it with that was the issue. I think it was very similar. Do you remember that, uh, I think it was Raiders and Cowboys, you remember that football game where they had the index card for the first Oh, down? which was awful. They, that methodology of them doing it made it look wrong, even though I thought it was the right call just because I thought it was a bad spot. So it was something kind of like that. The call was right, the methodology made it look wrong, and that's what I think people are confusing it with. They think they called the obstruction wrong when it was actually, I think it was out of baseline. Yes, and maybe that's why there was so much commotion going forward with that, with everything. Because I'm sure you saw on Twitter as well, Speedy. You're on Twitter all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it was a hot topic right. going forward with And most with people them. that I saw thought they got the call wrong. Yes. When, in essence, yes, if they called it obstruction, it would have been wrong. But Turner was also out of the baseline. A hundred percent. Trey Turner was absolutely out of the baseline. And this is why the rule needs to be changed. Because, again... Righties are at a disadvantage, and where they have to start running, okay, it's almost like they have to run on an angle, which, which right. will lose them a half a step. A, they have to run on a little bit of a slant to get into the baseline. Which will, which will lose them a half a step going forward and whatnot. And to have this rule that could change the outcome of a game, of a series, the World Series is absolutely Atrocious. Well, I'm sure, again, a right-handed batter will still have to know that kind of thing, too, though, and they've been taught that their whole career, whether it, no matter what level of baseball is, don't run on the grass. Now, obviously, it's harder, but again, at the same time, the lefties have the same kind of thing where you can't run too far the other way, either. 
and they probably have been caught running on the grass too, maybe just because it's not as much of a slant that maybe they got away with it more than people realize too. So that just really a, just a, a little mental mistake. Yeah, and, and you know what? It sucks that it had to come down to that, and it sucks that it didn't hurt the Washington Nationals going forward because if you look at it, the Washington Nationals, instead of having a guy on first base, one out, they could have had guys on second and third, nobody out, with, with their three, with, was, what's Rendon, a three-hitter? So Soto was up yes. next, their four-hitter, right. coming up next. Second and third, nobody out. Instead, now you have a guy on first, one out. Right. It changes the whole complexion. He, I will say this, though, and this is where I think the Nationals have done a great job all postseason, is they didn't let it get in their head, and that's why they're just proving how mentally stable they are now for this kind of circumstance and looking forward to Game 7. They know they're mentally in there. So I really think I give them credit where they really didn't have it before. I'm going to compare it to hockey now because the St. Louis Blues obviously won the Stanley Cup. They had the same thing in Game 3 of the Western Conference Finals. There was that hand pass uh, which led to the Sharks' overtime goal, and the Blues won three straight after that. It's very course. similar to what the Nationals did right there. They overcame that bad call. They they had the two-run homer, and they ended up Rendon, Rendon had that homer in the seventh inning that really blew it open. Um you look at everything that led up to it, though. Soto homering in the fifth, Eaton homering in the th- in the fifth as well to tie the score, and Soto getting the lead with a three-two. And we knew it was going to be a close game, or we thought we knew it was going to be a close game to the end. Okay, Anthony Rendon mm-hmm. has been unbelievable the last three or four games in this World Series for a guy that's normally been really bad in the playoffs all he's like his been, whole career, and now he's getting it going. He's been unbelievable the mm-hmm. last three or four games. Funny story about Anthony Rendon. A good friend of mine, um, his name is Joshua Valley. He played baseball at Marshall when Anthony Rendon was somewhere. He, he was at Rice. Like he, he was at Rice. They the played. Time, it, yeah. yeah, they played each other in Conference USA. And my buddy Josh used to tell me stories how what kind of guy he was. And Anthony Rendon is a. I'm a big fan of Anthony Rendon. Mm-hmm. After hearing some stories, but we have our first call of the day. Who am I dealing with today? You're dealing with me, dummy. Oh, here we go, <laughs> Jeff from Tampa. What's going on, pal? Buddy, people need to stop bitching and moaning about. And, and listen, it, it was a correct call by the rule. hundred percent. It's a bad. It's a bad rule. Agreed. Like it's a bad rule, but it was correct. Agreed. Right. But people need to stop bitching about that. It had zero impact on the game. No, I know. I listen. I agree. But I. You, you, but you know what, Jeff? You really can't say that. Obviously, with the score being seven two, because like I said right before you called, if that play stood. The Washington Nationals are down, are up 3-2. Now they have guys second and third, nobody out with Juan Soto up. Instead, they have a guy on first now with one out, which could easily well, be a double play ball. Like right. It does change and the complexion also, of a game. It also, and you, you don't want to lose that way or have a call not, like that to uh, make, make the World Series, basically. Right. You know? And also, if you're doing 10... If you're sampling 10 different instances of where that happening, how many times would the team actually be able to hang in there and just stay mentally stable? A lot of teams would get rattled by that and could crumble. Yeah, but Rendon hitting – the only difference that had on the game was, okay, Rendon's home run should have been a three-run homer instead of a two-run homer. But okay. I can't even say that, though, either, because – You don't know what happens. Because right. third and second, it's a different approach for the pitcher. And second and third, I, second and second, third. <laughs> right. So it's a different approach for the pitcher, and it's a different approach for the hitter. Who says Anthony Rendon isn't swinging for the home run in a, what is considered a situational baseball kind of thing? It could have been Fine, just a two-run single. The Astros single. still didn't score. It had zero impact on the game. Okay. 
fine. Yeah, they were still but, winning three to two, and the Astros still uh, didn't score. Listen, big deal. Li- listen, a hundred percent. But again, you, we we say that now because it didn't have impact, but it could have had. It could have impacted the game. Is what is what we're saying, and you don't want a call like that. And Jeff, like you said, it. It's a rule. It's a garbage rule, but it's the correct call. You don't want something like that to change an outcome of an elimination game in the biggest in the World Series in the in what you play all season for the World Series. That that is my whole thing. And let me ask you, Jeff: Do you think Joe Torre and the committee are going to go now and change the rule or make an addendum to that rule? I think they have they to. They have to. If you, they have to. If you saw Joe Torre's interview after the game when they asked him about the rule and he was stuttering and stammering to try to explain it. Horrible look. They're going to definitely go and change the So what would they do? They would, they would make it a little more leeway on the runner, you think? Maybe four feet, five no, feet or something to, like they that? They need to make it just a judgment call. Or what they need to do is if you're, you know, maybe what they need to do is cut, that, cut the grass a little more towards the pitcher's mound and make oh. the, hmm. the, the, the running lane more clear. Because let's okay. be honest, that chalk line, that runs up first base in, in Minute Maid Park is pretty darn close to the grass. Agreed. And, and listen, and, and that's also what I was saying before. If you, were, if you were listening to our show before you called in, I said it. I'm like, you look at lefties. They obviously have a clear advantage getting to first base quicker than anybody. And they're already on the right side of that, of that three-foot line and that line they're talking about. Righties have to almost cut across the grass just to get into the dirt. Uh, of of right, that three but, foot line going forward, you right, know. But let's, right, but let's be honest. Trey Turner ran on the grass the entire way to first base. Right. Agreed. Right. Agreed. And 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 a hundred percent. hundred percent. I'm I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna disagree with that. And again, it it's the right call, but it's it's a horrible freaking rule. It's the right call though. It, it, it's a hundred percent the right call, and you and you can't even. Really deny it? Am I right? I mean, it, it just sucks, but it's uh, it uh, you're umpires. Just, you're taught not to run on the grass. Don't run on the grass. It was the right call, and 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 you can't even say anything. It was a hundred percent the right call, and and it is what it is. But stepping away from that call now, I really don't want to talk about that call because that call just bothers the crap out of me. And he, reading it all over social media really <laughs> aggravated me too by people saying it's a, it's the wrong call. It's a horrible call. No, it, it, it's, it's the right call. It's the right call. It's a horrible rule. That's the problem. Go back. Listen, I'm a Red Sox fan. I can tell you this one explicitly. Go back to when the Red Sox lost, I think it was a game five, maybe, to the Cardinals. Dude, they called Will Middlebrooks for interference. When yeah, I remember that. laying on the ground between third and second. Oh, I do remember and the that. Runner, yep. And the runner turned the wrong way. And ran into him. He wasn't even close to the base path when they called him. Yeah. No, I, I yep. Uh-huh. So it's, it's been a long time coming that they should have changed this rule. I Listen, uh, 100% this rule needed to be changed. And, and now, after seeing this happen in Game 6, Joe Torre is going to have a lot of work to do in the offseason to get, to get the votes or whatever they have to do to change this rule going forward because this rule will be changed and there will be something to make it better for every single person. Now, I'm just curious how they would change it, though, because, Jeff, I know you were saying the parks, but maybe that's just a Minute Maid Park thing or maybe a couple others. So how would you change the rule? I'm just... I mean, you need to have clearly defined base paths in every park. Like... The way that they've cut that field, 
the grass, like the configurement of it, that chalk line is almost on the left side of the dirt. That chalk should be in the middle of the dirt. Oh, okay. So you think it's just... Do you a... know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I didn't even realize I absolutely that. understand that, what you're okay, saying. So, okay, so that that would just be a park thing, like, not really go, a rule like thing. When you, watch tonight, when you watch tonight's game, look at how close the white line is, which is fair and foul, is mm-hmm. close to the infield grass, right, running up the first baseline. That yeah. line, they need to shift the, the configurement so that the, you know, the dirt part of the base path, that it's bigger. line should be dead in the middle of it. And bigger, So yep. then you know, if you're in the grass, you're out of the base path. But how much of that, it could be a grounds crew error, though, too. Uh, you can't change anything. I don't, think, I don't think that's a grounds crew. I don't think that's a grounds crew error whatsoever. Not at all. That's not a grounds crew. It's a matter error. of maintenance. You can, you can get them to – dude, if you can get them to cut people's faces in the outfield grass <laughs> and stuff, you can certainly cut <laughs> no, a I know that. I understand that. But I'm just trying to figure out how it correlates to what the rule change is allegedly going to be. No, it just needs to be more clearly defined where the base path is. People need to know what the base path is. Right. And I think the you're running pl- in the grass, you're I think, on the base path. But I think the players know that. I think there's just yeah, you got you can't run on the grass. I think right, that's something you're not, taught all the time. Right, but it's but it's so close to the the grass is so close to the chalk at Minute Maid Park. It's literally a matter of what, two inches? Sure. Which I the way you're telling me seems like a Minute Maid Park issue more than a league issue. No, no, no. There's a bunch of parks around the league that are like that. And you know, you'll have more trouble defining right. it. All right, so that's you know in a play, in a place like Rogers uh, Rogers Park in Toronto where it's you know artificial turf right. or whatever, mm-hmm. but there should be more clearly defined boundaries. Well, actually, I think because of the turf, I think the the lines are more clear and easier to see. <coughs> right, but there's no base path there; it's just a line. No, I know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I mean, listen, it, it what what I think could also be a possibility is they. I mean, I, I doubt it's going to happen, but they go to a two-bag at first base. Two bases. Really? Oh, like that double base Yeah, like a thing? double base time type of thing. So you I, don't, I don't think it'll happen, like but, I'm sure, but I'm sure it'll be talked about. The only problem with that is in more wet or like if they're trying to play through the rain kind of thing, then there's a better likelihood players could slip. And, and listen, way, so. uh, uh, not, not going to disagree with it. I'm just saying these are all – options that are going to be thrown on the table now because of what's going on. But let's step away from from that touch, uh, from that illegal play, uh, that interference call or whatever it was. Jeff, let me talk to you about Justin Verlander. This is a guy, okay, he, who has been a Cy Young Award winner, an MVP, multiple All-Star selections, and he, ha- and he does have postseason success, except in the World Series. In the, wo- in the Fall Classic, he's 0-6 in seven games. Now, this is a pitcher that posted a 2.58 ERA, okay, with 300 strikeouts and 34 starts, leading the majors in 21 wins, innings pitched in 223, a whip of .8, okay, if Verlander doesn't win his second Cy Young this season, it's obviously going to be uh, Garrett Cole. But now, in the postseason, Justin Verlander has allowed eight home runs in his six starts, tying Clayton Kershaw in 2017 for the most allowed in a single postseason. Okay? You, you, you look at it, 
he he's lit, he essentially had a full se- he has a full season. He has 30 starts in the playoffs. 187 and two-thirds inning. He's 14 and 11 with a 3.40 ERA and 205 strikeouts, which are the most in postseason history. But in the World Series, now this is Justin Verlander we're talking about. He's 0-6 with a 5.68 ERA in seven career starts. Yeah, looking at the actual amount of starts, too, he's only really had a quality start in two of them. Nobody but Justin Verlander has more than four losses without a win in the World Series. And the only pitcher overall with more World Series losses than Verlander is Whitey Ford, who lost eight times but also won 10 and owns a stellar 2.71 ERA in this fall classic. Yeah, again, and most of the games he's actually struggled to, even just judging away from the wins and losses because it doesn't really matter as much for a pitcher. Only 2006 against the Cardinals, six innings, one run, good start there. Uh, it, last or Two years ago against the Dodgers, he had one start where he had uh, six innings, two runs, but that's really it. Six innings, three runs, four runs, eh, not great. And then he had some bombs against the Cardinals and against the Giants where he was just awful. Jeff, what, what do you think of Justin Verlander and, and whatnot? How, think, is he the next I Clayton Kershaw? No. I think he's terrific. He's a terrific pitcher. But the World Series version of Justin Verlander, if he were a football team, he'd be the New York Jets. <laughs> well, Clayton, you always got to find a way to take a shot at the New York Jets. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go as far as saying Clayton Kershaw though, because Clayton Kershaw is seventy-five percent of the time awful. So I would say Justin Verlander is more on the streaky side for a postseason pitcher rather than the awful side, like a Clayton Kershaw or a David Price or something like that. Verlander, though, you're right, does have his worst stuff in the World Series. I think he. Jo- I think we Jeff, just lost him as Jeff hangs up. Yeah, he, he'll call back. But you look at Justin Verlander this postseason, he has a 4.33 ERA, which is even more alarming, giving that his first of six October starts featured seven scoreless innings. He's had a chance to close out each of the Astros' three series, but lost all three times, allowing two home runs in each game. You look at against the Rays, four runs, three and two-thirds, the Yankees, four runs in seven innings, and now three runs in five innings against the, Nashville, against the, the Nationals. Okay, don't get me wrong. This Astros team—they're home. They can very well win in all. Win it all, despite Justin Verlander and his problems and his hiccups right now. They host Game Seven. They are the best team in baseball. I I, listen. Talent doesn't always win. That was just listen. They have Zach Greinke on the mound in the finale. Um, Greinke has a four point three one career postseason ERA. And this year he's at 5.3 while failing to complete five innings in three of his four October starts. He's so, also been better, though, lately in comparison to what he started as. He was bad against the Rays. He was pretty bad. I think the first start he had against the Yankees, then he was very good in that second one. I think it was game four when they went to Yankee Stadium. And then he was good game three of this series. So at least he's been better now. So you want to give him the benefit of the doubt there even though he hasn't been great overall. I mean, listen. He hasn't been. He, he hasn't been great, and I mean, I, I don't know what else to say about Justin Verlander, except I, I feel for him. I do. I mean, to be such a dominant pitcher, he, he, you don't want me to go that far with the Clay, uh, Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, because I think Clayton Kershaw, I think, has been more... I would say 75, 80% bad rather than I think Verlander's kind of been, 
he has some great times and some bad times, especially, again, when he was with Detroit, too. Like, Detroit had a lot of talented teams, and Verlander was great in some postseasons and bad in others, and even, like, judging that, certain rounds, too. Jeff, are you there? Yeah, buddy, sorry. Little phone issue. It's all good. But looking at Justin Verlander going forward, can, can you see a, maybe a little bit of a similarity between him and Clinton Kershaw in the playoffs? Yeah, they both suck. <laughs> I mean, do you feel for Justin Verlander? Do you feel bad for him? For and, it's not even that he, and it's not even that he just sucks. You know where he really sucks? Seriously, the first inning. Every appearance that he makes, every one. He's got something like a 15 ERA in the first inning, and then past that it drops to like a 2.1 or something like that. It's crazy, right? Like last night was one of the first times that he's given up like, you know, some runs and stuff after the first day. It's always the first inning with him. If you're going to get to him, you get to him early. Right, but he, he helped, sucks. He allowed one in the first inning and then two in the fifth. It, 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 it's pretty crazy to me that we're, we're seeing dominant pitchers, i.e. Clayton Kershaw and Justin Verlander, struggle in the postseason when they're completely dominant in the regular season. And that just goes to show you how much of a different animal the postseason is. It, it's it's, well, but, it's crazy. Oh, but, but here's the other thing. All the opponents are good in the playoffs, though. You know, like, it's one thing to be like, you know, oh, someone's dominant in the regular season. Well, you can't name a division that doesn't have a crappy team in baseball. Every, you know, like in the NL East, it's the Mets. They stink. <laughs> They've always stunk. Right? Who, who's the, better, them, the them or the Miami Marlins? Right. Well, you know, the Mets worse because no one likes the Mets. Yeah. So let's just use the Mets. Right? And in the AL East, it's the Orioles, right? Mm-hmm. When you're playing a team like that, you know, you're playing teams like that, you know, 16 times a year. You know, a, a, a Kershaw, a guy like that is playing, you know, that opponent three, four times a year. He's, you know, everyone's padding their stats against the lesser opponents. Now all the opponents are good. Maybe those pitchers shouldn't be looked at as as good as you know they're looked upon. And you know, let's let's analyze what they do against quality opponents. Uh, and listen, agreed. And, and I'm sure Justin Verlander's numbers are pretty pretty decent against uh, quality opponents as well. Yeah, so is Kershaw's. But when every at bat means so much and every team is good in the playoffs, there isn't a bad team in the playoffs. No, listen, uh, I, I agree with that. There is not a bad team in the playoffs. There's not. But it, it, it's just crazy to me to see what is going on with Justin Verlander. I mean, it's name crazy. a weak spot in that Nationals batting order. Okay, maybe Jan Gomes down at nine. Yeah, but even Victor really Robles it. can hit at eight, right. right? Like, I mean, all of their guys are pretty decent hitters, Right. I mean, it, it, it sucks to have to go, you know, like most teams in baseball, you're lucky, you know, one's usually a speed guy, two, three, and four are pretty good, and then there's a significant drop-off, five to nine. That's not that way with these two teams. The Nationals teams that used to They're be that solid, way, too. top to bottom. Right, the Nationals used to be that way, too, where the, the early postseason teams that would always choke, they were always more top-heavy, and then they had, like, a 37-year-old Adam LaRoche or a, Overpass his prime, Dan Ugler or something like that, in the back end of the lineup. They could, they were terrible in the postseason. It was really they were relying on their stars, and obviously their stars didn't come through. Now they right, like use a lot look, of that money to get bottom. depth. Right. When you looked at the bottom of those lineups, usually you'd be lucky to get one for three out of you know five, six, seven, eight, and nine. You'd be right. lucky if you got that. So they would literally be making eighty-five percent of the outs in a game. 
You know, you don't have those, you know, like, other than when the pitcher bats, right, in, when they play in the National League ballpark. Right. Who's an automatic out for the Astros? That lineup. Maybe Reddick, he stinks. And, and, and that's even if Reddick is in the lineup. Chirinos, even right. though Sometimes Chirinos is batting two. Sometimes, yeah. right, Chirinos. Dude, Chirinos is hitting bombs in this in this Yeah, series. in this World Series. Yeah, yeah, Chirinos is a good offensive catcher. Correa is struggling right defense. now. Yeah, he's struggling, but he's, but not he's a pretty out. good, pretty good hitter. <laughs> yeah. Jordan oh, Alvarez is a good hitter. Yeah. Gurriel is a good hitter. Like, literally, one through eight in that lineup are hitters. Name a weak spot. Like I said, beyond Jan Gomes, who isn't all that great, but one through eight, name a guy that you're like, oh, that dude's definitely making an album. No, you're right. You're right. It does, you know, and most teams have a bunch of those guys, you know, two, like two of those guys in their lineup where you're like, oh, Jesus Christ, this guy's coming up. He's an instant double play. <laughs> but you can you can name a lot of those guys that are playing in the league, right? Like, that's not the way in the playoffs. These right. lineups are good hitting lineups. Right, especially lately, you really need lineup depth to win. I think the last, I think, four or five World Series champions have ha- all had good lineup depth, even if offense wasn't the primary part of the team. I mean, it, it, it is what it is, and, and you're right. One through eight, you're, you're going to see better batters every single time up at plate, and it's going to be tougher to get people out. And like, who's, the, who's the national eight hitter? Is it Victor Robles? I Vic, think so. Yeah, he's the eight hitter, yes. Right. Think about how good of a number eight hitter that is. Yeah, he's a top ten prospect in baseball. He's their number eight hitter, and he's been phenomenal. In, right, uh, he's your number eight hitter. He's been pheno- not you know, phenomenal I'm, all postseason, but he's been very good in certain instances. You know, there are very few lineups like like the Yankees have a lineup like that. Like, yeah. who is the eight hitter in the Yankees lineup? Probably Urshela or something like that. I mean, pretty darn good hitter in the eight spot. Yeah, uh, 100%. 100%. That's why, that's why those teams are so tough to beat. Because you can, you know, you might get a night where uh, you, you might get Trey Turner and Soto and Rendon to go 0 for 3, 0 for 4. You might get that. It doesn't happen often, but you might. But they can still beat you with just the bottom of their lineup. And that used to be the Nationals' problem big time, or one of them at least. Listen, you could probably count on one hand the number of teams that can beat you 5 through 9. Yeah. It just don't, it, you know, I mean, most lineups and, are so and, top and it's, heavy. It, it, yeah, it's usually the top two teams. When you get to the ALCS, usually five through nine is where you can see some guys really be dominant forces in that lineup. There's a lot of teams right. like that Look, now, and that's, I think, the way the, the championship series changed, on, on of, both sides. It's a big way baseball's changed, too. Lineup depth is more key than actually having the star like if, power. If, if Rendon and Soto go hitless tonight. If they, and I'm not saying that they are. I'm not predicting a national law. Don't take it like that. But if, if Rendon and Soto were to, go, were to go hitless tonight, what are the odds that you think the Nationals could still win? If Rendon and Soto go hitless, go hitless. well, the odds the, go, go significantly lower than them hitting. Right. Of course. Right, it goes lower, but it's still better than almost any other team in the league right. that they could still win the game. Right. Yeah, I, I, again, I'm not taking. I, I'm not going to disagree with that because you're right. You you right, look at some of these teams. Yeah, yes, 100. percent And that's why I'm saying the championship series on both sides between the Yankees and the Astros, and between the the Nationals and the Cardinals when it, when that was going on. Even though I don't think the Cardinals five through nine really scared they, me. They they 
they're one of those teams, they have a lot of specialists in their lineup, but their lineup is pretty deep, though. It's not as top-heavy. And even just looking at the whole National League, the Dodgers deep, the Braves deep, the Brewers were deep. Like, There's a lot of teams like that. I think most of the playoff teams are like that, just in general. Right, but like, look at the Yankees, right? The Yankees had a ton of injuries, and they had some guys being plugged in. How much of the success was because they had Mike Kaufman batting eighth, and he had a really good year? Right. Oh, listen, agreed. All those guys that stepped in at that time were, were the big reasons. But, Jeff, we do have to go to break. And before we go to break, Jeff, I just have one question off topic, okay? I, I, I heard you were getting on Mr. Errol Marks a little bit because he was saying Tom Brady is going to leave after this season. Do you, I, I, I'm just going to ask you this because I'm not really going to talk about it today. With Tom Brady selling his house, do you think he's going to be leaving New England? Uh, 50-50 shot. 50-50? Okay, fair. I, 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 just wanted, I just wanted your opinion about that. That's all. But, you know, a lot of that was drawn because the trainer also was selling his house. But the trainer, all the trainer ended up doing was buying a house one town over. Yeah. Okay, listen, I, I, I just wanted your opinion on it and whatnot because it does, it, it, it does raise a little bit of an alarm bells. It has to. It has to just because sure. Adam Schefter reported it, too. I would take some truth to that. But, Jeff, are you going to hang on or are you going to get, get get going? Get going. Jeff, thanks for calling. I'm sure I'll hear from you tomorrow when we get into our picks, talk about Game 7, and uh, we'll probably make fun of the Beeve or something. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> All right, Jeff. I'll see you guys. See you later. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Jeff from Tampa giving us his insight on what he thought about Game 6 and Justin Verlander and all that stuff. But ladies and gentlemen, we are going to go to a quick break. And when we do come back from break, we're going to get in. We're going to step away, get a little bit into the NFL. I want to uh, NBA. I'm sorry. Oh, wait, hold on. Who are you? Who you got Game 7? Game 7? I, I, I want to take I, I really do want to take Scherzer tonight. I do. The smart money would, would you think would be on him, but him with with his injury, and I don't care that he says that the pain uh, that the cortisone shot alleviated the pain or whatever. One twitch the wrong way, he could be in a lot of trouble. Okay, I'm looking at it right now. I just I just don't want to bet against the Astros. If if I were to bet. I just don't want to bet against the Astros. That, that's just me. Who do you got? I got the Nationals. I you think the they've Nationals? just been so resilient all postseason. They have been. Late game hitting, road hitting. And like I said earlier, them being able to mentally overcome that call, which, again, was the right call, but obviously they didn't think it was going their favor. A lot of teams, including I think previous national teams, would crumble. They really showed that they're just so mentally stable right now, and there's no pressure on them. There's a lot of also, pressure on the Astros. Also, Washington is 4-0 in elimination games right. in the so playoffs I think, this season. I really think they just they got something special there right now. So Listen, I, I picked Nationals I, in six initially. I'm I agree with, with you. I'm going to stick with picking the Nationals. You're going to stick with picking the I, I, I'm just not going to bet against the best team in baseball. That's all. Just all my right. opinion. Right. But ladies and gentlemen, we are going to go to a quick break. And when we come back from break, we're going to get into the NBA a little bit. I want to talk about the this year's rookies and what we think about what's going on with the rookies. Who who is leading right now after a week of basketball for rookie of the year? And I want to give our power rankings one through thirty two with the NBA. The we're, NBA, yeah, the NBA power rankings. Oh there's, no, no, I'm there's sorry. Th- there's not thirty two. You're, you're right. I'm, I'm thinking of the NFL. I'm sorry because okay. I said I wanted to do that after. Right. We're going to get into that when we come back here at the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. 
You, you, you are listening to the third and long show. And here's your host, Maddie Cabs. 1-877-909-9977 is the number to reach us here at the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to talk about the NBA and the rookies and everything that's going on with them. And I just want to say one thing to everybody who doubted me and my intelligence about basketball as a whole. R.J. Barrett, let me just say this one more time. R.J. Barrett is the best rookie in this year's NBA draft. And the numbers show it, and it's not even close with everything that he does. And I'll be honest with you. I said it from the get-go, R.J. Barrett's going to be the best player in player in this year's NBA draft. I've been saying this for almost two years now, okay? I've been saying it since he was going to come out of high school and go to Duke. I've been saying it since he was at Duke. I was going to say it since the Knicks drafted him. R.J. Barrett is the real deal, and he's showing it all in every game so far. Speedy, you have to sit here and look at him. Even myself, I love R.J. Barrett. He's shocking me with his numbers. You look what R.J. Barrett is doing as a 19-year-old. A 19-year-old. It, it, it's, it's remarkable what he's doing. You're talking about a guy who is averaging 20.5 points per game, 3.3 assists per game, okay, and 7.5 rebounds. That's my biggest take right now. The 7.5 rebounds that this guy, R.J. Barrett, has. Speedy, let me ask you. You take over a little bit. What do you think about R.J. Barrett as a whole? And I just want you to tell the world how right I was. Yeah, he's a phenomenal player. I think I never doubted him as a prospect either. I didn't have him as my best one, but I'm sure... I'm sure I knew he was going to be that good. Now, everything that's happened with him so far, in terms of what I thought his deficiencies could be, I think I've still been the case. But he's a rookie. I'll give him a pass. He's a rookie. He's been very good, though, in every aspect, assists per game, uh, points per game, rebounds for a player of his stature, a guard-type, wing-type player, 7.5 is pretty insane. He's second among rookies right now, and he's ahead of a lot of big guys, guys like P.J. Washington, Brandon Clark. He's ahead of those guys in rebounds. That's how good he has been this year, 20.5 points per game. He's top three, it seems like, from what I'm looking at in every rookie category so far, with the exception of field goal percentage. But, again, he's a, he's a shooter. These shooters are going to shoot and not going to be as efficient as a big guy who doesn't shoot as often. So three-point percentage, he's third. Assists per game, he's... He's actually fourth, but again, the Knicks aren't a great team, so okay, take that as you wish. Rebounds, he's second, and scoring, he's second. So he's top three pretty much in every category. He's absolutely been phenomenal, and visually he looks very good too in terms of the way he shoots from different spots on the floor, the way he passes from different spots on the floor. So really, he's been very good overall so far. you got to love what you're seeing from R.J. Barrett. If you're a New York Knicks fan, you have to love what he's showing. You're talking about a 19-year-old kid. Okay, he's a kid playing a grown man game, showing the maturity in this game. He has shocked me more than anything. I didn't expect him to be doing this well this early. Now, I know he's going to go through some hiccups. Okay, I know he's going to go through some problems. 
because he's a rookie. Every rookie hits a wall. Don't don't try and tell me otherwise. LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, Dwayne Wade, that star-studded 2002, three class, whatever it was, they all hit their walls. It happens, okay? And I'm just waiting for it when it does happen. But you look at this guy. He has it all. He has the size at six foot six, six foot seven. He has the athletic ability. He has the long arms. And he's showing how mature he is. He is really showing that he needs to be the number one option. Number one option for the New York Knicks. Okay? He's shooting the three at 46.7%. This is a guy that did not even shoot this well when he was at Duke. And he was doing basically whatever the hell he wanted to do at Duke. He's shooting the three at 46%. I was a a little worried with inefficiency and also some decision-making. I I think his passing IQ at Duke, I'm surprised he had so much trouble with turnovers at times. Like, I I felt like he, for a guy that handles the ball so well and has good vision, I'm surprised at some of his decision-making. That was the only thing that really worried me going to the NBA. But, again, he's a rookie, so give him time. Yeah, and and, and listen, you, you have to give him time. You look at a guy that is top... He's literally in points, rebounds. Um, his efficiency leads the entire rookie class. Okay, his efficiency is at eighteen point two five. He leads the rookie class in scoring. He is second, second to Kendrick Nunn, who is unbelievable in Miami right yeah. now. Who the hell is that guy? He's second in I rebounds. Was, I think he was like an undrafted rookie last year, but he didn't no, he get was. The, he yeah, didn't he, get the service time or yep, whatever. That's exactly what it was. He's second behind Rui Hachimura in, in rebounds. And that's only and Rui Hachimura is a big man, so like exactly. him being two behind is nothing. Rui Hachimura is 6'8", six 6'9", six compared to R.J. Barrett, 6'6", six 6'7", six, six playing a wing position. Right. Okay? Speedy, let me ask you this. You look at R.J. Barrett right now. Who do you think he reminds you of in this year's NBA draft? Ooh, that is an interesting Or no, not in this year's NBA draft. Who does he remind you of in the NBA? That, that is an interesting question because he's a little bit of everything right now. I think he's very balanced as a whole. He can drive to the hoop, but he could also shoot too. So it's kind of interesting. Like if I were to do like a bigger comparison type thing, I would I would say like at his peak, he probably could be something like a Damian Lillard, I'm thinking, because he can – he could drive to the hoop too. He could shoot free throws. He could so shoot a bigger version of Damian Lillard. So I think like if he reaches that full potential, like I think Damian Lillard, I think is a, is a reasonable comparison for him at his peak in terms of like his like his floor kind of thing. I'm trying to think what that would be. I look at R.J. Barrett right now. I don't know if I put him on the Damian Lillard because no, he, I don't think he will he, either. I'm just he, saying. He, no, that's I, where his I, first of all, I I think he could be better than Damian Lillard. I think I think his potential is there, like, but he's I, not as, as athletic or fast enough. I'm trying to put him in the same. What 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 wing forwards remind me or shooting guards remind me of R.J. Barrett, and, and this is a tough tough decision that you, you don't see. Like some, it, it's hard to put who he reminds you of. Right. Because you're judging, you're judging on what he could be and what he is right now. Like obviously, what he is right now, he's a rookie, so he's not going to be at anywhere close to the level of Damian Lillard right now. But that's where that's in terms of a skill set perspective and his potential combined with that. I can see him getting to that. Like in terms of an a reasonable in terms of what of his floor could be, whatever like averaging it out kind of thing. I mean, 
obviously he's not at that kind of level yet. I, I don't really know what else it could be right now, though, in terms of a direct comparison because he's very complete where he's not going to be in the level of like the middle-tier point guards because a lot of the middle-tier point guards are just passing point guards kind of thing. Absolutely. So it's, it's really but, 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 but kind of tough talking, to really pick. But you're talking about a 19-year-old kid who has the ball in his hands now for the New York Knicks a lot. David Fisdale is giving him the keys, basically, and telling him to go because, let's be real here, you look at this New York Knicks team, and I'm, gonna, I'm going to say it again. They're shocking me with their effort and the, with the way they're playing basketball. The New York Knicks could easily be 3-1. and one. Besides that blowout to the Celtics, they easily they should have beat the uh, Brooklyn Nets. Okay, They should have beaten the San Antonio Spurs. They could easily be sitting three and one right now instead of sitting one and three. Okay, you look at this team with this rookie and these young guys playing. They're basically doing it without a true point guard. Alfred Payton hurt stinks. uh, uh, Dennis Smith Jr., who I love more than anything, found out that uh, a person in his family passed away. He's been grieving. He's been going through that stuff. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Okay, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and, and wait till he's fully back and. 100% 100% mentally focused, whenever that may be, okay? Death in a family is never easy, so I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Frank Nilakina, in my opinion, stinks. He's a very, very good defender. He's a very good defender. Offensively, he couldn't... He couldn't I like him as a passer, though, too. I, I, I think he's no, a decent beat passer. No, beat it, beat it, beat it, beat it, beat he, it. He stinks. He stinks, he stinks, he stinks. Frank Nilakina is on-ball defensive... Uh, play is very good. He's a very good defender. He's long. He's six foot six. He's big. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt. Now, right now he's he's the starting point guard right now because of everything that's going on. But you're talking about R.J. Barrett, who's not a true point guard, who's a scorer slash slash slasher, who's doing almost everything for the Knicks. As a Knicks fan, I couldn't be more excited. Couldn't be more excited. To see R.J. Barrett. I just want to see him continue. This is what I said about Daniel Jones too. For the New York Giants. I want to see these guys continue to improve. Before I really, really judge them. But after a week and a half of basketball. Right now R.J. Barrett is doing something that we haven't seen. Since the LeBron James rookie class. Here's, a, here's another comparison. Like to a lower level. I said Damian Lillard on the highest level. To maybe a lower level. Maybe like a Victor Oladipo you think. I think he's going to be better than Victor Oladipo. No, I, I, but skill-wise, I, I think he's very similar. And the reason why I'm going to say this right now, I'm going to say James Harden, but listen. One, he's a lefty. Okay. Two, he doesn't take more shots than James Harden, which, you know what, I'm okay with. But he's more efficient than James Harden right now. Um, the one thing James Harden does a lot better, obviously, besides getting to the rim, he shoots the free throw so much better than R.J. Barrett, which R.J. Barrett... Well, that'll come with time. Well, I was just about to say, yeah. will get better at. But R.J. Barrett is showing that he could create off the dribble. He can get to the rim. And he's doing something that uh, James Harden doesn't do, and that's rebound. James Harden doesn't rebound the basketball. <laughs> when was the last time you saw James Harden get a rebound? Probably, 2007? Probably when it just came right to him. 2008? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah he... Here, James, no, I'm standing here. All right, James Harden doesn't go and get... Doesn't go and get Go, go and get rebounds. So, again, I, 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 I like a little bit of all the comparisons you said. I do. Yeah, I think at the highest peak, Damian Lillard and a, kind of a floor level, Victor Oladipo. I think that's fair. Uh, I, I mean, it, it's possible. 
it's it, it's highly, highly, highly possible. But it, it's really interesting to see all these rookies going on. Now I'm going to go take a shot at one rookie because it it, it wouldn't be me if I didn't take a there shot. There we go. I, I didn't take a For shot like at the this 15th rookie. Fifteenth time in the last five months or whatever. Ladies and gentlemen, I just want to say I told you so to all you morons who love Zion Williamson. He obviously didn't do what he had to do to get his body ready for the rigorous NBA schedule. He's already out another six, six to eight weeks because of surgery in his knees, which he needs because he's an athletic freak. The memes on the internet are unbelievable, putting uh, Greg Oden's face on his body, which was unbelievable. That, that might have been my favorite meme I've seen. Did you see that, Speedy? No, I didn't. You didn't? Oh, no. they, there was a picture of Zion Williamson's body and Greg Oden's face just smiling. It was hilarious it, on his body. It was, it was awesome. Surprised they're not memeing his shoes again. Yeah. Uh, but, but you look at it. You look at it right now. Zion Williamson right now is showing everybody why he won't be as special as what people think. And that's because he's going, not going to be healthy throughout his entire career unless he changes his body. I'm going to say it again. He needs to lose 20, 25 pounds to really get his body ready. And that's not even considering the fact that it can't shoot worth a damn. Well, again, how does that necessarily will correlate with his skill set is still to be determined, though, because you could have a fragile player in any sport that's really good who says Zion Williamson isn't Gronk or something like that. Like, you don't know that yet. So just let him play because everyone could get hurt and have it diminish his ability or they could get yeah, hurt but, but, and but just Speedy, this is something I've said that we have to be careful because of injury and his knees and all that stuff because he's a big boy that plays sure. a a tough position. A wing forward is a tough position, and he's only six foot six. So you're not right. talking about a guy who's six foot ten and athletic and doing all that. You're talking about right. a guy a, that we, needs to weird, run and jump. Right. It's a weird body type. That's why I always thought it could happen too. It just I wonder still because he hasn't played yet. How will he be able to play? Amidst all that injury, how much will the injury diminish his game? Kind it of makes thing. me happy, though, because I'm a because North Carolina fan, and we, you know what? He beat us last year in a, in a phenomenal game in the ACC tournament yes, between North Carolina and Duke. Mm-hmm. But North Carolina beat them two in a row in the regular season, which obviously it looks like it's coming to – it's been coming a lot late, uh, coming along a lot lately because North Carolina has had Duke, Duke's number in the regular season. Um, but it, it makes me happy because I'm a North Carolina guy, and I just – I don't think Zion Williamson's going to be a very good NBA player. If Zion Williamson doesn't develop a shot, Zion Williamson will not be a good NBA player. He will not. He will not. Well, again, that's to be determined again with how he will play through those injuries. What will he be able to do through his injuries? Because I think we all knew that he had to improve his shooting to be able to succeed to be the complete player in the NBA. So I think we knew that already. How much will these injuries stop him from doing that and diminish his overall game will be a big question. And that we'll only know when we actually see him on the court. Yeah, yeah, you're 100% right. Because he could be somebody that could be in the label of he's really good when healthy kind of thing, or he could be in the label of the injuries are going to diminish him. And I th- We, don't, and we I, don't know yet. I think the injuries are going to diminish him. Because if you can't go out there and work on your shooting and all that stuff because of surgeries and everything... That's not going to help you going forward, especially a guy that's at six foot six can't shoot already. That needs to be able to shoot going forward. So you think it'll be dec- this uh, this decade's version of Derrick Rose? Maybe. It, you know what? It's highly possible. 
Except Derrick Rose is coming back better than ever right now, so. So far. Yeah, so far. He did this, what, two years ago when he was playing like an MVP candidate again, and then he fell off in the second half? Listen, you're right. But so far, he's been the guy. But ladies and gentlemen, we are going to go to a quick break, and when we do come back from break, we're going to get into some NFL talk. I want to get into the trade deadlines, and I want to get the first thing we're going to do when we come back is we're going to do our halfway season power rankings, one through 32. You want music for that? Yes, I do. When we come back, is this right into it? Yep. All right, you got it. When we come back here at the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. one 9977 is the number to reach us here at the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You hear the NFL new, uh, NFL music in the background. Well, Speedy and I are going to do our halfway through the season power rankings. I'm going to go first, Speedy. I'll give you time to maybe do some research if you need to. I'm not going to well, say I, them all. I, I just need the exact standings. I don't think it's from there. Okay, I'm going to go number 32, the Miami Dolphins. They have shown over and over again they want to tank. So the Miami Dolphins, to me, is the 32nd best team in the NFL. Just like Andy Dalton is the 32nd best backup quarterback in the NFL. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's where we've reached a new low with Andy Dalton. <laughs> a random grudge with him continues. Yeah, Dolphins 32. I think that's pretty obvious. Now, it, it, it could get a little tricky here at 31, but I'm going to take the 0-8 Cincinnati Bengals. Um, Yeah, they're 0-8. Andy Dalton stinks. I've been trying to tell people for three years now that this redheaded ginger is not a good NFL quarterback. He stinks. He's the 32nd best backup quarterback in the NFL. So I have Cincinnati Bengals at number 31. Uh, I'm going to go different direction here. Number 31, I'm, I'm going to take the Washington Redskins because I think the Redskins, they've just been so dysfunctional all year. They have a lot of talent on that team, and it just really they've just had so many issues. That defense is not bad on paper, yet they've underperformed, especially in the second half of games. Now, part of that, I think, was with the offense just being so bad, but it also is some of them, too. So they have to really just get it together and they just have been so dysfunctional all year and so many other players that are been talented are just underperforming on so many levels of course how i I mean yeah so who was your 31st redskins redskins well the washington redskins are my 30th ranked team they're one in seven i need to see dwayne haskins step up though a little bit for them when when his name his number gets called but this Washington Redskins team, they, they're not going anywhere. Firing Jay Gruden midseason. I mean, this team is just going down the crapper very, very quickly. Speedy, 30th. Uh, 30th for me is the Bengals. The only reason I put them above the Redskins is they've actually played close at times. They hung around with Seattle, a very good team. They hung around with Buffalo, a very good team. So it's not like they've had bad losses. Even the Rams game this week was pretty close for a while. So I don't think they've been as ugly performance-wise. They've definitely had some dysfunction for sure, but I, the Bengals weren't expected to be good. It was just more kind of a rebuilding year for them. And they have some young talent, too, that has played well. So I think, yeah, they've been bad, but I don't think they've been as bad where they're definitely a definitive awful team. I don't think they have zero sense of direction. I think they've had some performances. They've just had two really bad areas. Their offensive line is terrible, and their run defense is maybe the worst I've ever seen. <laughs> So that's who you have? Yeah, just because they've hung tough. Okay, fair enough. My 29th ranked team, 
The New York Ghostbusters, a.k.a. the New York Jets, sitting at 1-6. and six. Sam Donald needs to step up tremendously. He can't be saying on the microphone that he's seeing ghosts. I mean, he didn't have – the back-to-back weeks have been awful. I mean, he looks – shows flashes that he could be great, and he shows flashes that he shouldn't even be in the NFL. And this is coming from a guy that is a Sam Donald lover who thinks Sam Donald will be the best quarterback in last year's draft. So the New York Jets, to me, are number 29. Speedy. Yep, I agree. 29 is the New York Jets. It's kind of, it, again, it's an injury mulligan slash mono mulligan kind of year for the Jets, but they still just haven't looked competitive at all. So you would at least have, want to have them compete in some games. And obviously they beat Dallas uh, by two points the way they did, but they just still haven't shown any signs of competition. If they were to hang tough in some of those games, they might be a little higher than they've been, but... I just think as a whole, they still look lifeless as a whole. So I'm going to put them 29 as well. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, well, well let's go to number uh, Let's go to number 28, Speedy. And my 28th team, the Atlanta Falcons, Matty Ice, Dan, Dan Quinn, or whoever the coach over there is over at uh, Atlanta. Yep. Arthur Blank looks like he's going to fire him soon. I don't know why he's still the coach over there in Atlanta. He's doing nothing. The, the offense could score points. It's their defense that can't stop a lick. They couldn't even stop me if I was at quarterback right now uh, going against them. So to me, the Atlanta Falcons at 1-7 is power ranking number 28. Uh, number 28 for me is the New York Giants. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons have easily been the disappointment of the year, but I'm, I still think they're a lot better than the Giants are. The Giants, yeah, they've hung around in some games, but they still have had a lot of awful weaknesses on that team. The receivers are not good. The defense is not good. And again, they're better record-wise than the Atlanta Falcons, but if Matt Gay doesn't miss three field goals and all the extra points he did, the, the Giants are 1-7 too. So, I mean, what are you looking at there? So, I still think the Falcons are a better team right now than the Giants, even though they've been awful too. The Giants are a rebuilding team. We knew that. They've definitely progressed in some areas, but still not very good. How many, how, how much areas? That, 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 that's the question. So you have the Giants at number 28. Yeah. And not Atlanta. Interesting, Speedy. Because I think Atlanta still has a lot of talent. They, just they do. Re- their offense could score points. It's their defense that can't stop they, you, me, Errol, Mikey C, and everybody else. But again, I think their defense has talent too, but they're just really poorly coached right now and they're not doing the little Well, things. I'm going to tell you right now, my 27th team are the New York Giants sitting 2-6. and six. They showed flashes. Everybody thinks I'm a big hater of Daniel Jones. No, I just don't think he's good. But I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because he's shown glimpses this season that he can be an NFL-type quarterback. I'm not ready to give him the keys to my car yet, but he's shown glimpses. I still think he sucks. I still think he's not the answer for the New York Giants. So the New York Giants sitting at 2-6 and six is my number 27th-ranked team halfway through the season. Yep, number 27 for me is the Atlanta Falcons. I'm going to even say this. They are they are easily the disappointment of the year. They might even be the biggest disappointment this decade. I cannot imagine this team, a talented team like this, who I think they could, I think on paper, they have top five talent in all of football. If you're judging roster construction, how are they one and seven? It is peculiar to me. They might be the biggest disappointment in this decade. Like, if you're even thinking through with teams with high expectations, a lot of hype, like you talk about the 2011 Eagles, the Dream Team, even they were 8-8. Eight and eight. This team doesn't look like they're going to be anywhere close to 8-8 eight and eight either. There are certain teams that just underperform and they're still competitive. This team looks lifeless, and I can't understand it. Yep. 
My 26th-ranked team, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Jameis Winston stinks. But Mike Evans is really freaking good. Mike Evans is really freaking good. Tampa Bay sitting 2-5 and five is ranked number 26 for me. I, I actually don't – I think Tampa's actually done all right considering their factors. I actually have them a little higher in my rankings. Number 26, again, kind of an injury mulligan too, but they're still not a good team. They've still underperformed in other areas. I'm going to take the Steelers at number 26. Yeah, they're 3-4, and four, okay, but where's their impressive win? They beat the Dolphins. They beat the Bengals. They Anything is impressive with a backup quarterback. Still, okay. They, you beat a tanking Dolphins team, and you beat a Bengals team that's terrible in prime time. So I'm not really going to judge that. Yeah, they beat the Chargers okay, but that was more the Chargers laying an egg more than anything else. So I, I really don't think their wins have been that impressive. I really don't have much more high expectations for them this year. I look at them, their defense has improved a little with Minka Fitzpatrick, but it's still not very good. Their offensive line has underperformed. James Conner has not really been good for them. So there's a lot of things that dropped off to me. So I'll take the Steelers 26. Okay, fair enough. 25 for me, sitting at 2-6, and six, the Denver Broncos. Uh, Joe Flacco is not a good quarterback. I've been saying this now for three years that he's past his prime, and now with his injury with his spine or neck or back or whatever it is and calling out his coaches for the play calls over the weekend, Denver Broncos are in a big disarray right now. I still like Phillip Lindsay. I still like Vaughn Miller, but this Denver Broncos team is ranked 25th halfway through the season. Me. I think Philip Lindsay's really been misused too. They were using Royce Freeman a lot more in pass catching spots, which is weird. Uh, all right, yeah. Broncos are pretty close to this, but I have them a little higher. Number 25 for me is the other disappointment team, and I'm loving every bit of it. The least clutch team in football, the LA Chargers. <laughs> 25 <laughs> for me. Another defense like the Atlanta Falcons, they just look lifeless right now. They've had some injuries with Derwin James and some of the linebackers they've had on that team. Definitely have. have been hurt obviously uh Casey Hayward's had some injury issues as well and he's been good when he's in there but they're another team that they don't win close games like I always say all the time they have duds in certain instances they lost to the Steelers with a third string quarterback they lost to the Broncos who like you said aren't they're a rebuilding team they have a kind of a one-way identity and they lost all those teams that's just a really bad look they survived barely week one against the Colts they should have lost this week against Chicago. The Bears just outchargers them, really, as I like to say. They just were less clutch this week. They still should have blown that game, too, though. So they've just been awful this year. They're overrated, at least clutch, like I always say. You're not wrong. You are not wrong. 24 for me. Arizona Cardinals, Speedy. We're going to have to speed this up because we only have 12 minutes left. Arizona Cardinals, I mean... Listen, they're shocking me. Cliff Kingsbury is doing a lot with a very little talent over there. Cardinals sitting 3-4-1 and one right now. They're number 24 for me. Number 24 is the team you mentioned earlier, the Broncos. I think they've hung tough in certain instances. That's why I don't think they're that bad. They've just lost games late a lot of the time. That defense is good. They just have that trouble finishing against good teams. 23 for me. L.A. Chargers sitting 3-5. and five. Melvin Gordon needs to step it up. He's coming off a slow start because of the holdout, but I think the Chargers will get back going and possibly sneak into the AFC wildcard. Chargers, number 23. All right, number 23 is a team you and I both had dropping off when we were both right about them, the Chicago Bears. They've really had not looked good this year at all. Their defense has been good at times, but their talent is there. 
their secondary has struggled, and again, they've struggled actually surprisingly against the run this year more than usual. That offense looks awful. They haven't had a good running game. Their offensive line dropped off like I expected, so they're really not doing well right now. Again, they beat the Broncos in a close game. They survived other certain things. Besides the Vikings, they don't have a quality win this year, and they don't look good at all, and that's a great division, so they can't keep struggling like this. Yeah. 22 for me. Team sitting 2-5, and five, very disappointing. And they have Johnny Manziel as their I mean, Baker Mayfield as their quarterback, the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Baker Mayfield is just a sober Johnny Manziel. Cleveland Browns stink. They're 2-5. and five. They're number 22 for me. Number 22 is Tampa for me. I, I, I think they've actually overperformed in some areas. That run defense still number one in the league. The rush offense has been better. So I definitely see some progress with this team. They're still not a very talented team. They have secondary issues, O-line issues. But they've shown progressions in the areas that they did improve on. Their pass rush is a lot better. Jameis Winston, you're right, is just going to be the terrible decision maker his whole career. He's still a talented thrower, can extend plays, but that's about it. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, what are we on? 21. 21. 21? Pittsburgh Steelers, 3-4. and four. Backup quarterback Mason Rudolph has been outstanding since taking the helm. With Ben Roethlisberger out, he's showing that he could possibly be an NFL-type quarterback with little to do. Pittsburgh Steelers, 21, 3-4. and four. Speedy. Number 21 is the team you just mentioned, the Cleveland Browns, another team that's underperforming with a lot of expectations, a lot of talent. Their run defense has really been awful. Their offensive line has really been awful. The only reason I put them still above is they're still one, not one, but have done well in other areas amidst those circumstances. Nick Chubb has played really well against good run defenses this year. Their pass defense is still top five in football with a lot of corner injuries. So they've had have some progressions in other areas. But I'm going to say it again. Freddie Kitchens will play the AFC version of Jason Garrett, and that's not good. <laughs> the AFC version of Jason Garrett. That's a good one, Speedy. Number 20, Jacksonville Jaguars. Gardner Minshew, the third or the second, whatever his name is, sitting four and four. This is a team that I think is going to move up by the end of the season. Even when Nick Foles comes back, I think Nick Foles will get the starting job. Garner Michu has been a revelation, though. Keeping this team somewhat in it right now going forward. Jacksonville Jaguars, 4-4 four and four at number 20. Yeah, number 20 for me is Arizona. I, I've been impressed with them. I didn't like what they did in the offseason. I think they made a bad decision moving on from Rosen and taking Kyler Murray and wasting the draft picks like that, but... Cliff Kingsbury's been fine. His offense hasn't been flashy by any stretch, hasn't been great. But the one thing I do like about him is, one, he's played well against good teams so far, even when they've lost. And, two, they've been very good at second-half adjustments this year. And they've been able to work with a lot of different guys that we didn't expect to be good. It's not David Johnson all the time. It's not Larry Fitzgerald all the time. They've had tight ends working in. They've had Chase Edmonds working in well. So Cliff Kingsbury done well in that area, and their defense has been pretty good. So I'll take them 20. 19, Oakland Raiders sitting 3-4. and four. Derek Carr needs to step up big time going forward. He's had shown glimpses that he still can be a very effective quarterback. John Gruden needs to be better every which way. Oakland Raiders, number 19, halfway through the season. Yeah, we agree on that. Number 19 is the Oakland Raiders. I think they've definitely shown some progressions. Their run defense is actually number two in all of football right now. I think they've really been impressive so far this year. I think Derek Carr has been very good. I think Josh Jacobs has surprised me. I didn't really like him as a prospect, but he has actually impressed me in a lot of different ways. So I'll take the Raiders 19 as well. 18, Tennessee Titans 4-4. Four and four. Ryan Tannehill getting slotted into the starting quarterback position. Played very well last week. Possibly only going to get better. I'm taking the Tennessee Titans here. 
Four and four, ranked number 18, halfway through. Uh, tw 18 is where I have Jacksonville right now. I think the identity for the Jaguars is definitely different. I didn't like the fact that they traded Jalen Ramsey, though. I still think, even though they got a good amount back, I still would rather have him on the team, and that is something that concerns me with their secondary. They've still struggled as well against pass-catching backs. Now, Gardner Minshew did, has created good identity passing where they didn't have it before, but that offense still is questionable. So I'll take Jacksonville 18. Uh, 17 for me, the Chicago Bears, 3-4. and four. I knew this was going to happen. Speedy knew it was going to happen. When you're the two smartest guys on the show, that's what happens. So... It's not really much to say here. Mitch Trubisky is not the answer. He's had long enough. Chicago Bears, 3-4, and four, ranked 17th. Yeah, 17 for me is another team like the Raiders that I'm actually surprised their defense has been this good. That's the Detroit Lions. I've been impressed with the way they've played against good offenses, too. The Chargers, even though they have underperformed, they're still a talented offense. Philly, a talented offense they played well against. They hung tough with Kansas City. So I, they've definitely done some good things this year. They've hung tough. They're... They're, I don't think they're a playoff team by any stretch, but they're hanging around, and they're going to be competitive all year with not a lot of talent. Okay, fair enough. 16 now. I got the Detroit Lions sitting 3-3-1. Three, three, and one. I love the way they're playing football. I've always loved Matthew Stafford, that gunslinger over there. Matt Patricia surprising everybody because the Lions were supposed to start 0-11, basically, and they're playing some very good football. They've had some bad losses. Not like bad, blown out, but ones that they should have won that they lost. Especially that Green Bay Packer game. Well, yeah. The, the, Detroit Lions, 16, 3-3-1. Three, three Speedy. Uh, number 16 for me is Tennessee. I like them as a team. Their defense is really good. I think they're really deep and talented. Offensively, we'll see if they can keep up their recent success. They've been, they've been pretty good lately, but again, they've still been up and down as a whole. The young receivers can play a little better. They've had some injuries, definitely with the tight ends and with the receivers as well, which has hurt, but I think they're still a good team. I still think they can definitely sneak in as a playoff team. I think two teams from the South are making it at some point. Regardless, maybe you could see three teams making it. Maybe the Titans are that third team. And I still think they're good. They just have had underperforming a couple instances so far. Okay, fair enough. 15, Carolina, 4-3. Kyle Allen, that's all I got to say. Kyle Allen, yeah, they got blown out by the 49ers, but he's the reason why they're 4-3 right now. Been very efficient going forward. Carolina. Uh, 15 for me. Another team that hasn't really looked that good yet. They've won games they probably shouldn't have won, but they really haven't played well. Is the L.A. Rams, number 15 for me. I don't like them right now. I, I still think they played a lifeless Atlanta Falcons team and won. I really haven't seen much quality wins. Carolina they beat, but they almost blew that game too. They really looked bad against the 49ers. They look good at times against the Seahawks, but really they haven't been that good this year. No running game, questionable offensive line, questionable run defense. I don't like them right now. Okay. My 14th team, we got to make this quick because we got five minutes. I know. I'm just going to keep it nice and simple. Philadelphia Eagles 4-4, four and four, got to be better going to the second half. Secondary issues, I agree. Number 14 is the Eagles. Secondary issues for them. I still expect them to turn it around. They're, they've been, the last couple of years, a slow starting team. I think they're fine. 13, Buffalo Bills sitting 5-2. and two, Still not really sold in them. Need Josh Allen to play better. 13, Buffalo Bills. Uh, 13 for me is the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, I think they've been who they are. They'll win against bad teams. They'll struggle against good teams. They'll win random primetime games. But they really haven't changed their identity. They've had an iffy run defense. And is iffy secondary depth this year as well. Number 12 for me, Dallas Cowboys 4-3. I think they stink and should be 32nd. But you know what? They're 4-3. Dallas Cowboys need to be better. Uh, number 12 for me is the Houston Texans. I think 
they still have a lot of glaring holes that I'm worried about, and that's where I think could be their downfall. I don't like Buffalo either, but I trust them right now a little more than the Texans right now. They're both very average to me. I think they both could fall off, but I'm going to take the, uh, the the Bills right now over the Texans. So Texans at 12 for me. Texans at 12. Okay, number 11, Colts 5-2. and two. Playing good football without Andrew Luck. Jacoby Brissett, well done. Uh, number 11 for me is Buffalo. I, I think their defense has been really good. I also think their secondary te- depth, though, has not been tested yet. So that's a little concerning for me. Offensively, they're very up and down. I don't really like their skill players. Their offensive line has been better. And Josh Allen's been pretty good this year. I've, I've been impressed with him as a thrower. But they're still kind of a fringe team for me right now. I can't really commit to them quite yet. Fair enough. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to save 1 through 10 for tomorrow. Tomorrow's show is going to be a big-time show for Speedy and I. But this is it for our show today. Tomorrow's show, we're going to get into the NCAA and finally coming around and paying the college players. Speedy and I have different takes on that. So that's going to be a big part. We're going to talk about Game 7 tomorrow. And then we're going to get into 1 through 10 of our power rankings halfway through the season. And tomorrow's our NFL pick'ems. So make sure you tune in tomorrow. We'll be back tomorrow here at 4 p.m. I'm Matty Caps. That's Speedy Petey. See you guys tomorrow. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.